Tell us about Grandma Shark. No. <laughs> what was it? How's it go? You said that you wrote Grandma Man, Shark. I want to know about it. It's called copyright infringement. I'm not on the record. I didn't do Grandma Shark. A lot of people think that because, you know, like, I'm a lyricist, but I can't take credit for it, Jeff. You train many local MCs, according I, to you. Who are among <laughs> the local MCs that you trained? Everybody. Like, anybody that knows how to rap in Portland learned from me. Favorite, My name used to be Rapping T. Favorite three in terms of pupils of yours who you are most proud of how they have adopted your lessons? Uh... <laughs> These are people that won't hurt me. Glenn Waco. Yep, I taught Glenn everything he know. Nice. Um, Karma Rivera, I'm the first one that put her on. Uh, and uh, Dove St. John's, you know, Potlandia. Welcome to Potlandia. On May 19th, on Tuesday, <laughs> Oregonians are going to take their turn in the primary season. In Portland, four of the five city council seats will be decided, including the mayor's seat. That's four of the five votes on city council. Today, we'll hear from candidate Teresa Rayford, who is running for mayor of Portland. Fourth generation resident of a traditional village sites of Multnomah, Clackamas, and many other tribes currently known as Portland, Oregon. In 2014, she formed the group Don't Shoot Portland and currently serves as its executive director. Welcome back to X-Ray. Teresa, it's good to see you. Oh, good to see you too, Jeff. Who are you? Why are you running? Um, well, I'm Teresa Rayford. I'm the mom, sister, auntie, um, yeah, grandma now. You know, I told you about the grandma shark and um, uh, the work that I've been doing over the last I like, 10 years. I like, I like talking about your rap <laughs> mentor background and then transitioning to grandma shark. I, I don't know if it's a generational thing, but I appreciate it on many Intergenerational levels. raps. You got to check it out. But um, no, I, I mean, I grew up here in Portland. I've been doing amateur archivism for about 10 years since my nephew was killed in gun violence. And systemically, um, now we're admitting these issues, but systemically and, and currently, we still have very oppressive and discriminatory policies in regards to how um, certain members of our public are governed, how they're assisted, how they're supported. And so in order to dismantle some of those effects, uh, you actually have to participate in a way that is politically active. You, so running for mayor is that participation. You've run for office before. What have you learned from that experience in terms of trying to operate that campaign? Because part, part of what I want to get into is the challenge of running against a sitting mayor. Okay. What have you learned from running a campaign in the past? Well, I've, I've learned that it's the same thing as any other campaign that you run when you're wanting to educate the public, except for you leave out the education part and you keep the propaganda. And so um, kind of working around that, what that looks like and being someone who's uh, basically formulated activism as an educational model for political um, engagement, um, it's fun for me because I get to actually tell people what they're listening to and help them operate on a level that is inclusive and not just for entertainment purposes. And you might know what that means. Um, a lot of other people don't. But the candidates come out. A lot of times uh, people have already prioritized who they're going to endorse. Um, a lot of things are already set up for us just to receive the information and to make the desired uh, support. It feel pre-cooked. Yeah, it's pre-cooked. It's propaganda. Um, but again, since I've run before and I saw that happening, I figured I would build a people's platform uh, that would be solidly connected to the issues, the opinions, and the experiences of people here in Portland. So about 18 months ago, we started a survey that called, that was called What Matters to You. And in building our platform, we're utilizing that. And I want to ask you about that people's platform. Let me start with this. What is the mayor getting wrong? Um, engagement. He believes that, in my opinion, that he already has the ideas 
and that by directing us on what his ideas are that we're going to make change. But I don't believe that change is possible without including people and especially the ones that are experiencing the things that we know need to be changed. And I I actually voted for Ted, um, which I wish I could take it back, but I can't. Um, And I did that because the investment in someone that wasn't local, that we didn't at the time consider the status quo, was important to me because I thought that dismantling the things that we're all complaining about since Occupy and the uprising of the Black Lives Matter movement, that uh, he would be concerned with listening to us and helping us to formulate a reconstructive government. And that's not what we got from him. So make the case, it might sound like a dumb question, but make the case about the importance of engagement, right? We can imagine, well, let's say somebody just makes all the right decisions. They don't waste a bunch of time. All the time they're spending meeting with community groups, all the mm-hmm. time they're spending talking to you or somebody else who's not running for office, is time they're not spending actually maybe making decisions, maybe reaching out, maybe talking to frontline workers, maybe drafting strategic plans, maybe making budgetary decisions. How one spends one's time matters. It matters. Why does the engagement make the case for why the engagement matters? The engagement matters because you have to hear outside of the quantitative uh, information that we use for data collection. Right. We have all these different ways to get resources for the city. Um, Just like right now, everybody's wanting to participate in a census. Well, the same type of uh, participation We require that even after the election, if you participate to the point where you elect the person that you want to be in office and you don't participate in the change, let's say the work group committees, let's say that um, all of these different decisions about budgets, let's say that all the different decisions about our police and priority for housing. If you're not a participant, if you're just on Facebook or Twitter and you're sharing your ideas or your thoughts there, that's not enough to make direct influence to the people that are actually operating on the process. And so we look at bureaucracy, a lot of people, as an intimidating factor of government, but actually it operates because of our engagement. And so when we don't engage, it does not operate in a way that we get the successes that we dream about. We have people for generations talking about the American dream. Well, we learned in the civil rights movement that it could only be achieved for all of us if we all had access to the vote. Um, Now that opportunity is available to us, but we're not educated on why we should vote and what happens after the vote. And so from the last time that I ran for office, um, I've intentionally connected that um, into our community so that people would see it as a priority and be inspired by the opportunity. So even if the precisely same decisions are made. One is made inside a secret star chamber and the other is made with a bunch of people engaged. You're making the case that there is advantage to more people being engaged in the process because not only they're more likely to vote, they're more likely to feel bought into their community, they're more likely to care about their neighbors, they're more likely to think that they're in on the joke. They're, they're more likely to seek accountability. They're more likely to provide oversight. Um, that engagement tool is a witnessing of actually what's happening. And when you're actually able to witness that and participate in it, you go back into your community and you share that information with other people so that they can acknowledge that there's actually something being done about something that they care about. We've lost that. When I first got uh, started going to City Hall back in 2010, and then I connected with the activist community, I realized they weren't taking advantage of the actual process of bureaucracy And I also realized that where one of us was sitting in a place where, you know, we're trying to get someone competent or elected um, to listen to us, that when you have the priority of community engagement, 
that you could take five to 10 people in there. And in that 90 seconds or that three minutes that you have to put your issue on the record, that moves things. And you're saying when you were saying that people weren't taking advantage of the bureaucracy, you meant because they weren't showing up in City Hall and testifying? They had no idea that it was even an accessible opportunity. A lot of people would ask me things about their senators. Are they approachable? Is it okay for me to contact them? And I couldn't believe that they didn't understand democracy and that it was set up in a way for us to facilitate that type of practice and partnership. In addition to general community benefits, buy-in benefits, a sense of shared responsibility and accountability benefits— are there decisions that you think the city has gotten wrong or that the mayor has gotten wrong, you're running for mayor, that are linked to the too much disengagement you're talking about? Um, I think, let's say I'm a, a community organizer. My nephew got killed in gun violence, and I connected with community that was also affected by gun violence, but their effects were police brutality. And let's say that because I knew the mayor and I understood the process of bureaucracy, that when I started bringing people that were directly affected— Um, by police violence, which, you know, that's a city bureau. But when I would bring them into City Hall, uh, the response would be violence. It would be um, humiliation. It would be discrediting of their testimonies in a way to where um, it felt like that is not something we want to direct to the council. And I think that's what we keep getting wrong, that when someone has been injured by the city, that it benefits us to take them into audience and to engage and to correspond with them and communicate about what happened. Even if we can't undo that wrong, dealing with that communication opportunity helps us bridge what we should be doing and is valuable interest because if you've lost your child to gun violence, you're you're not interested in getting the child back. You can't. We can't pay for the value of that type of engagement. So what and do we you should do? What should the city have done it. that? We should utilize it. We should benefit from it. We should create processes to keep people safe based on the experience of people that have lost their children. So let's talk about that then. Let's get to it. What are the processes that should be put in place? What are the ways the city can benefit, can learn from, can treat the tragedies that have happened as tuition so that we can learn lessons and do better in the future? Um, It's going to take a full social change because right now in the way that we've adopted our government, um, the process of appointments, the process of access through um, vetted community partnerships, um, we have to One of the things that I plan to do is audit our community partnerships and stakeholder relationships to see if those are the ones that are going to help us effectively communicate and engage with community. And what that looks like to me is that let's say that um, we're connected to like a nonprofit that does arts and social justice, but they don't have a unionized workforce. Um, That shouldn't be a representation of our community if it's not being enhanced in a way that it supports community or even those people that are working because we're calling them volunteers. But what I've seen in City Hall is that volunteers that work on behalf of the benefits for people are being utilized way too much. We don't pay for their transportation to the meetings. Uh, We don't look at where we'll make an application available and say, hey, you're going to volunteer to work on this committee and it might be 16 hours a month and it turns into 40 hours a week. You know, we we don't accommodate the interests of volunteerism and of community engagement. So we need to reframe what that looks like so that we can make that an accessible opportunity. What should the role of neighborhood associations be in Portland? Um, I think that they should be a benefit of information and education. I think that they should operate as a system of outreach on behalf of the city. Um, I've seen that, you know, over the last year 
We've had a lot of conversations about the dismantling of those systems through Chloe U. Daly's office. How do you feel about that? Huh? How do you feel about that? I think that anytime we do anything in a community, we need to communicate with community. I don't think that it's uh, wrong either way to evolve the way that we produce community engagement. But I think that it's wrong not to have that buy-in and that participation from the community affected and the community that seems to be the affectors. Ultimately, some of this comes down to outreach, yeah, but a lot of it comes down to votes. And so if Chloe Daly is putting forward a new city charter, amendments to city practices that Mm -hmm. change the role of neighborhood associations, at some point you're going to have to decide to vote yes or no on that. Are you a yes on what she's been doing or a no? Well, I'm going to bring the community in and bring them into participation mode so that they can engage on what those benefits would be for them. Um, how those benefits and how the design of their relationship with the city would be developed or reconstructed so that it does create an opportunity for more people to participate. I've been to a couple of different, um, you know, association meetings, neighborhood association meetings, and there's always a group of maybe like, let's say, five to ten people that show up that are very committed to the things that are happening in their community and they get along with all the resources and research that they have to do. But the city does not provide any resources to help them communicate what they're working on with their neighbors. Um, I don't believe that the city provides a whole lot of resources that we would benefit if we did. We should be partners with those type of agencies so that we don't say, hey, you're doing it wrong or you're doing it right. What are we doing to make it uh, sustainable? So what? resources should be provided. If what you're saying, I think what you're saying is neighborhood associate, and, and I don't want to put words in your mouth. I just want to interpret what I, I hear you saying. So correct me. Is neighborhood association, associations could be a good tool, but let's make sure they're a tool, not only for those five or 10 people, but there's resources put in. So it's more than those five or 10 people. Am I hearing that? Okay? Right. Let's say, let, let's use the city resources to project those voices and that communication into a model that actually engages community. And those, not that just model those, being neighborhood associations, that model being something different. We might need to call it whatever we need to. I know right now, as far as I'm concerned, I just left the city's records and management um, archives and the things that we, the the way that we title things Um, has always been a part of, like, our white supremacy uh, culture and the way that we've set up policy here. So we might say neighborhood association, and that could be a title for the people that we feel are the leaders of the neighborhood. You know, it might be a hierarchy uh, tactic, but the, the changing of language and what we call the group is not what's important. It's how we mobilize the group to be engaged in community to where we get a return on investment, which means civic participation, Um, So whatever we decide to call it, because I know that we can say, hey, we're taking off neighborhood associations, but now we're going to call this this. If we don't change what's in it. So how do you change what's in it? You said you want to apply resources. What do those resources look like? How's that thing structured? What is a new civic engagement? Because what I hear is that you want to run on civic engagement and and I'm down, right? Well, I I think a resource is the opportunity to hear information and to have it accessible to you. I work at the city a lot. One of the main things I ask them for is print these flyers for us. Add this to your website. Make it more accessible. Make it accessible to people with disabilities. Uh, make sure that people don't have to come to the website to get this information. How many community partners do you have where you can provide this information, where you can put up a poster, like literally utilizing bureaucratic propaganda to promote engagement. Like, that's a resource, and we don't utilize it as a resource. I've been told so many times, go check it out on the website. 
look, everybody's not accessible on the website. I remember when my nephew first died and my biggest issue was that there were no life-saving devices in the back of the police cars. Um, I went and made a complaint. And then I wondered, why didn't everybody know that there was a way to file a complaint? And I had told IPR, hey, take these brochures and all this information. IPR, uh, independent, independent Police, Police Review. Review. Yeah, take this information, put it on buses, put it in coffee shops, drop it off at the churches. Let people know that are affected by the city's mismanagement or neglect or abuse. Um, let them know, like, where this information can be documented so that it can be registered as an abuse. And I think that in the time that we started that till now, um, complaints have gone up. And it's not because we didn't already have complaints. It's because people have access to knowing that there's a complaint filing system available to them. Um, but no one was managing to put that information out there, you know? In addition to your commitment to community engagement, what do you think you'd be best at with respect to this job? Um, redesigning the way that we construct our outreach through the city of Portland the way that we foster relationships through our bureaus for people that need those services. Um, we need to be inclusive, um, even though we are a bureaucratic system, and right now we aren't. So, um, people in our city, including employees, feel like it's us against them. So do you just sprinkle uh, magic community dust over the bureaus? Or are there three favorite, you know, identified, specific proposals you'd make to restructure that kind of stuff? Well, I mean, funding would come from cannabis tax reform. Right now, I'm a very big component on the cannabis community. My son has, you know, he's been having seizures for the last couple of years. Um, and one of the reasons that I started supporting the recreational tax um, the recreational um, legalization of, of cannabis was because I thought that tax money would develop uh, resources for drug and alcohol treatment, housing, um, mental illness, sidewalks, streets, uh, all kinds of developmental opportunities for infrastructure. We didn't put money there. That's one fine point where we can do it. We got, what, $725 million in, in marijuana revenue. And in the city of Portland, in the last two audits, none of that money went towards education or drug or alcohol re rehabilitation. Um, so that's one functional way. Another thing, I mean, I'm forgetting what the question is since that last answer was oh, so long. Just the the uh, civic engagement. And I'm, and I'm I mean, down. I, I think it's an interesting answer. Some could view it as a dodge. If somebody says, well, what do you think you should do about this? So oh, I want to hear from the community. No, that no. could be a dodge. But I don't <laughs> think it's a dodge from you. I think it's actually what you care about. And my own view is that... At our best, there might be nothing wrong with Portland. What's right with Portland can't fix it. If we harness the power, the creativity, the compassion of this community, we can solve all kinds of well, things. So but I do want to know, so it's not just a dodge, I do want to know what that actually means. What does yeah. that mean for, for neighborhood associations? What does that mean for district elections? What does that mean for application of resources? Does that mean more staff that actually go out? No, does it that means mean more resources in, in into the juries? community. Okay, so, more re so you, you tax weed, and then how do the, what do the resources pay for in the community? They pay for sidewalks. They pay for streets. Yeah. They pay for people that are going through recovery, that are coming back and reunifying with their families and their communities. It pays for people to get access to expungements like what we're doing with city bureau money from the expungement um, from their cannabis tax money. Um, it pays for services that right now our city says we don't have enough of. Um, it pays for services that throughout the state of Oregon, we say we have to legislate something to get funding for this and that. Um, right now, we have a ton of money that in every little neighborhood across the state that we've talked to people about, they're saying, we're building jails. We just built another jail next to the dispensary in our neighborhood. We just built this jail. We just built this jail. And I'm like, OK, wait, 
Haven't we been talking about housing? Haven't we been talking about our children leading the nation in illiteracy, not being educated? Um, haven't we been talking about suicide rates? So how do you do that one? Haven't we said what, what we have a the... crisis for opiates and we still don't have any safe access spaces and we're still talking about the carrot for drug abuses in the jail when we should be providing those resources proactively in our communities? But we've not engaged with people on a level to where when they need resources, we can directly support them because we got too much bureaucracy in the middle. So and that's you... kind of what my audits have been showing. I've been asking for audits on the state level, the city level, and Multnomah County level for the last 10 years since my nephew died. It, to me, it looks like racketeering, criminal negligence. And really, when I say civic engagement, I'm saying give what the people like those resources. What looks like racketeering? The, the lack of resources, the lack of community engagement. It looks like racketeering. We don't engage with community because we have a committee. Um, the state, the government, our partnerships— um, when you have money coming in that is being funneled for communities of color, let's say, that mm-hmm. have children that are being killed by gun violence, but there's no reasonable solution out of 25, 30 years and millions of dollars uh, to stop the violence. Yeah. Um, when the commitment of those funds has created an obstacle of families being together because we're like leading the nation in our children being in foster care or we're leading the nation in those parents being mass incarcerated is the is the solution for gun violence to lock up the children and their families. Like, where does that come from? That lacks in its own self um, community engagement because no one in our community would want to lose their community because their children are being killed in gun violence. But that's what's happened here in Portland. So what'd you do about We're it? in a displaced uh, and, neighborhood and, and, right now. And, I lived around the corner growing up here. If your answer is let's reduce bureaucracy, I want to hear how you want to do that. Let's but say let's build in more community engagement and less racketeering with right. partnerships, right. contractors, so and no big contractors. Pause there. No big contractors. No big contractors. So to me, when What does you, no big contractors mean? Um, let's say that in the audit that we did with PPS and the Oregon Department of Education, that a lot of the contracts that were with the state that were receiving money to educate our children, there was no bid in the process. I could just say, hey, Jeff, I got a million dollars. I'm going to give you $2 million. And oh, so competitive me, bidding. Yeah, 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 let's make it a competitive opportunity. I've actually heard let's from several not- people their concerns about the current bidding processes uh, under this administration. Under the last 20, 30 years of administrations, let's go back to the Portland plan when we said that we would administer this type of system in order to get things done so that we didn't have to cooperate with community members. Yeah. We could just grab a couple of people that make us feel comfortable and they can be the decision makers for a whole generation. But well, guess what? They don't have to get it right. Is there any <laughs> advancements? Are there any improvements that have been made in police and public safety over the 10 years since you started getting really actively engaged? Um, well, we just finished the uh, order by Judge Simon because of the murder of James Chassey. And on the record is completed, um, but also on the record, we haven't made any strides uh, towards keeping people safe from the police or because of the police. So um, Are there any, so you're saying you don't think there's been any progress made in the last 10 years? I don't believe that there's been any progress made in the last 10 years. We're still shooting people that are residents of Portland, and we have city employees doing the what shooting. Are you, what are you proudest of in your activism around trying to change the culture of the police, the culture of public safety in Portland, what are you proudest of? Um, Community engagement and getting people to say that there's a problem to the point where we started convicting people for hate crimes again. When Larnell Bruce died um, in 2017, 
Um, the city of Portland thought that that was manslaughter, you know, aggravated murder. Um, they didn't see it as a hate crime. Um, right now, today, there's going to be a verdict read in Jeremy Christian's murder of two people um, that were riding the MAX train. Um, those things were not being done on the record here. Um, when Russell Cordier got uh, arrested for killing Larnell Bruce, uh, what came out in the media, what we helped advance to the oh, media. I appreciate that you remember and say the names because for many of us, myself included, right, you it probably is don't care easy to. Black, right? <laughs> you <laughs> ain't gonna get killed by a white supremacists. There is there, no time soon. No, there is there is that risk, right? There is that risk that I, that I don't that I'm not sensitive enough to it. That I don't remember names as much. I don't appreciate the humanity as much. I don't live with fear as much. And that's one of the reasons and I the appreciate engagement you taking the wouldn't time. matter as much to you as it would to me. And so the lack of engagement again means the world to people I might who are challenge, on that I, I might challenge that one. I would, I would agree that it would matter in a very different way. But I've been in a courtroom. I don't think so in the same yeah. way at all. I'm sorry. No, I, um, I'm not going to disagree with I've that. Heard the, I've heard the testimony of hundreds of people, and I've seen those witnesses. And, and the truth of the matter is, is that when those women, when Demetria was being assaulted, when the two young girls were being assaulted, nobody that looked like you cared about those girls. Yeah. Um, they were concerned when... Mr. Bass, you know, was being attacked. And then when Talesian was being attacked and when Micah was being attacked, but they didn't care about us. And so my thought is that when we talk about community engagement, it means we need to be at the table making decisions about our public safety. We need to be, and I'm saying like black women or people of color in yeah. our community. And recently in Portland for the last like three years, I guess we've been uh, called POCs as if that's like the new culture thing for, you know, uh, dehumanizing people. Um, when we're not at the table, when we're not even thought of, unless there is like a proprietary for a black history man or something, it hurts all of us. Because we undermine the value of that engagement, and we can't do that anymore. When I did audits and when I asked for community engagement um, so, so that I would have more people researching what was wrong and what we could do right together, um, through that engagement, education, research, protests, whatever we had to do, legislation, um, it, was, it was so that we could affect change by witnessing that it does take the courage of being involved. If you're the mayor, you'd be probably be head of the police bureau. Would you give that? Would you keep that bureau for yourself? Absolutely. What would be three things you would do? You can pick a different number if you want to impact, change, transform the police bureau, or, uh, or unless you want to keep it the same. But I don't think you do. No, I think I think we need to do an audit of the bureau's practices and their partnerships for community policing uh, because there has been in our education system waivers of FERPA rights, uh, policing partnerships that have mandated um, the waiver of personal information. Um, and I think that's a very solid reason why we have such mass incarceration here amongst color, uh, people of color in our city. Um, so defunding gang task force, um, auditing the Bureau's partnerships and contracts with community um, stakeholders and things of that sort, um, getting that off the table, reinvesting that money into care for communities, um, looking at who we have in our police force and what actually, from my own experience as someone who just opened up a legal clinic over right on the street, Killingsworth, right down the street from where we are now, 
the engagement that people in this city are having with police officers, whether they're women, whether they're trans people, whether they're people of color, whether they're unhoused, is not what we're sharing with the general public when we talk about our police force. A lot of people talk about the professionalism um, and the conduct, but from what I'm hearing from people that need advocacy and legal access is that that is not something that's happening. And that's why it's important to look at who our workforce is. What can we do to hold them to higher standards? I know we just reduced the standards recently, but I think that that, again, is going to be to the detriment of our safety so how do you in the change, city. How do you change the table around the police bureau? They've been, had a hard time recruiting. What do you think needs to be done at the police bureau I, to change? And lowering the standards okay. was related to that, right? I, when, when they weren't getting applicants, they said, well, let's make it a little easier to apply so we can get some more applicants. What do you think the police bureau ought to be doing to get the kind of applicants you want to see in there? I think that they need to hold themselves accountable. I think that we've had a couple of administrations that will throw people like the police bureau under the bus rather than working at the arbitrator's table when it's time to do collective bargaining on what we really actually need from them. Um, A couple of years ago, 2014, 15, maybe, I was talking to Daryl Turner, who's the president of the police association. And he said, well, all the things that are happening with the police force and in the city is happening because your commissioners, your mayor, our arbitrator and us have signed the same document. And at no time did any of the people on the commission have the will to say that we want to provide public safety. Their relationships and contracts basically um, uh, give the authority to the police to violate our safety and our privacy because of the things that they need politically to happen. And so, again, looking so at for example, that standard— give, give, give an example of what, of what you would SROs change in the police schools, Let's yeah. say as far as SROs in schools, that doesn't make any sense. And we would need to remove that if we think that the children— Officer, in those, Uniformed officers in no schools. No uniform—it doesn't make any sense. Even teachers are not feeling comfortable with that. We know that parents showing up to schools that have what had that, different but things I do happen. want to ask about recruitment, though. If what you want to do is presumably diversify, right? Diver, presumably have a police department— And I haven't said nothing about recruitment, so don't— Oh, you, that you weren't, oh, I thought you, said, oh I thought you were saying what <laughs> no, you wanted no, to I'm see in the saying, police department. No, I'm saying let's hold accountable what we have in our police department. Oh, okay. Let's audit this department. So let's think audit right, I heard you saying personnel. Yeah, I heard you saying personnel Let's, in the police department. Yeah, I'm saying we have to look at who those are. When we investigate when we investigate and audit what we have going on, we have to look at what biases are held by people in our police force. And then what do we do? If there are biases, we what do We have do to about? let them go. And okay. we have to work with our union to make sure that they know that that's not something we want. But you don't what think we I need to bring in new you, people to the police bureau. You just think we need to get rid of some I people I think that bureau. we need to have standards in this city that is known for white supremacy, that sure. knows that there has been violent attacks on people, that knows that we've been shooting people with disabilities um, and people of color for the last 10 years. No, the, critique is, um, the, the critique is well heard. So that means that there is a problem. Let's say that we ran a business and then we just kept losing all of these opportunities to do the business right. Yeah. We would have to reestablish what that business looks like. In our model right now, lessening the standards when we're shooting people, when we're shooting children, when we're shooting people with disabilities— that's going backwards. That's not forward thinking. That's not something that should be acceptable by anyone that pays taxes in this so city. You're so you're not concerned. I, want, I just want to make I sure I understand concerned. what you're saying, that you're not concerned about recruitment. That's not the thing you're worried about. No, you I'm, are, I'm looking at what do we have right now? Why and, is and our standard lack? you want to get rid of lack? some of those people. You, you wanna, you wanna, I'm not saying that. You can say what you want to say because no, you're on the radio. No, 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 no. I'm saying, I'm saying literally I want to audit and investigate and who we have working for us and find those biases and get rid of those people. 
Okay. Period. They got to go. Then I hear you. We're not going to be able to um, legislate morality, even though we keep saying, hey, equity is going to make everybody better. If we do not enforce opportunities that keep people safe, um, we're not going to be able to establish a new police force that makes us feel safer. We have to look at what's going on right now. Why are we containing so many biases in this force? Why do we think we have to contain um, secrets about racism and all these different things that are happening it's, it's just it's unreliable. And when we talk about public safety officers, shouldn't the people that work with them feel safe? And if they don't feel safe, why aren't we looking at what's happening in that bureau to figure out safety first? Yeah, I got the answer to the question. I appreciate it. The uh, what differences do you see with you in the role as mayor as compared to the role you've played over the last 10 years as activist, et cetera? That's hard because I I don't see a difference. Um, What I see as a mayor is somebody that plays that type of role, that works within their community to develop partnerships that makes the community more healthy, um, builds a higher standard of value for the community members that live there, and gives taxpayers a return on their investment. I've not seen that. I've seen in the last three mayors that we've had um, excuses, um, hidden agendas, um, it, it's sad because all they, I mean, at every level, when Charlie came in, Charlie Hills, who you ran against, um, when he came in, there was so much going on with that campaign that he had an opportunity to change the game in regards to civic engagement and participation. He didn't. He turned his back on the community. Um, we had these huge protests. By the time Ted came in, everybody was like, okay, we have a new mayor. It's going to be a new day. This person's going to, you know, listen to what we're talking about. And then he's going to start working with community members that are committed to change. And we're going to start seeing that change happen because at that point we had civic participation because of Occupy and all these other uprisings. Well, guess what? Ted came in and said, hey, look, I got my stakeholders. I'm going to go ahead and do this. We know what's happening. And he ignored the people that helped him get there. My thought is that for the last 10 years when when my nephew died and I didn't even understand what community organizing was, um, but when the social workers and the teachers and the nurses and all the different people that could have helped his life, that were a part of his life, when they started harnessing to me the organizing commitment that they had within their unions and in their neighborhoods, and then I realized that people in my community didn't know how to organize and were not politically engaged because we didn't believe that that system worked for us, that was the key. And that's the key now. We have a city right now, 10 years later, um, that is less engaged than they were five years ago. And that's turning down. I've had campaign workers out there, uh, volunteers, young people out there knocking on doors for 18 months. People don't even know who the mayor is. They know we're out there protesting. They don't know why people are protesting. They don't know any of the issues outside of what's being reported because no one in any of those spaces are engaging directly with the general public to talk to them about what's going on. And we need that measure of commitment from the city so that when things are happening, when we're having these big uprisings, we don't pit community against each other. We organize community so that we can get to that better day. We need that commitment from a mayor. If we want to change, if what Martin Luther King and all these different people said, if we want that change, if we want that day to come, we have to be committed to it. And it's going to take someone who's an organizer that wants to organize with community to make a better day. What makes a good organizer? Um, Someone who is committed to community, that listens to them, 
that doesn't mind researching with them, that doesn't mind working with them, that doesn't mind uh, attaining the resources that we need in order to be committed to a process that requires our engagement. Do you have any weaknesses as a, an organizer? <laughs> A lot of them. Um, but the thing is, is that when you're an organizer, you benefit from trying things. You benefit from not winning a lot because you get to see that experience. I talked earlier to you about witnessing things and seeing things play out. You can't pay for that. You know, the the opportunity to fail at something, the opportunity to not be right about something, the opportunity to be educated by somebody that knows more than you. Um, organizers take all of that as asset building, if it makes sense. In addition, so far I've heard in terms of priorities that you'd bring, one is a commitment to, and I don't want to order them, but I'll put them in this order at least. Mm -hmm. One of them is a commitment to community engagement and trying to make sure the shape of the table better reflects the population of our city. You're not getting anywhere without that. Another thing I heard was that you've been talking about for a long time is transforming the culture of the police bureau. I've also heard about in general and probably in specific, trying to go after the root and stem of white supremacy in our city. What else would you identify as key priorities for you as mayor? Um, just looking out for our house, our unhoused community uh, right now, I live in downtown Portland and I'm looking at all these different buildings that are being built up and around me. Um, and I know for sure a lot of them are empty. They're empty condominiums, empty spaces. They're on Airbnb. They're on motels.com. Um, we need to, as a city, be committed to getting people housed. How do we do that? Um, we have to connect with those people. Our intake can't be sweeping them away. Our intake can't be just pointing them out to a shelter. We need to start speaking to them and spending time with them. A couple of years ago, um, one of the things that we started doing through our nonprofit was not only taking meals out and collecting food, but we started an intake system where we would talk to the people that we were connecting with and find out what resources they needed directly, even if it was just help with transportation or it was someone to research something or if it was legal support. And we got so much more done with just community-based grassroots organizations that were committed to doing things to help their neighbors than we did from the city. So how do you scale that up? If you're the mayor, we bring it into the city. We utilize those same blueprints to build community engagement in neighborhoods. It doesn't all have to happen within city hall, but city hall should in fact in, influence like, communities to do the work. And we've had the honor and opportunity to talk to some, you know, really on the ground, on the street activists who are making real impact on human beings' lives, mm -hmm. right? And and wondering how you do that at scale. Right. Like as soon as you move it into the city, do you lose some of that magic? Because all of a sudden then you have to move through the city's bureaucracy. All of a sudden then you got to make sure that you you're, all those people who were, who were like this huge, almost free resource. Right. Because people are just volunteering, helping out. All of a sudden you bring it into the city. I don't think the people are a free resource because the people that are that resource are actually victim survivors of yeah. the city. Like all the people that work with me are people that are victim survivors so of the, the city, same thing. So what does bringing into the city look like is what I'm trying it to It means ask. those voices matter. It means that we don't commit to discrediting them. It's It means that we don't humiliate them when they come to testify about things that matter just to them. Just showing respect. We, we build the bridge. It's what not does the just, bridge look the, like? The respect is not— cause, what, what does the bridge look like? Well, I'm, I'm trying to talk to you, and I don't understand, like, if you say uh, bringing this, the respect— um, I've been in City Hall several times and I'll testify and I'll look up at my commissioners and my mayor and they don't respond. They don't make a statement. They just say, mm -hmm. that's not respectful to someone that's just told you their child died. 
is not respectful to someone that told you that they work with an agency that's a community partner and they're being raped in that space. Um, that's not respectful to not respond to them. And so the response measure, that measure of leadership is what's missing from City Hall because we don't respond. So if we respond better, we nod the heads better, we have greater empathy. Don't Help nod me. the head. Be a resource. So what does be a resource mean? Connect the dot from, uh, you, you don't have to use my word, use your word. Connect the dot from, or help me understand what bringing them into the city means or what respect means or connect the dots from respect it's, to the results on the street, the results in people's lives, the result in how many people are houseless, et cetera. People need to understand how the city operates and what that operation looks like and how that operation affects their daily lives and how to take advantage of making the operation accountable to them. Anything you're scared about about the job? Um, white supremacy. Okay. How, how do you worry that might manifest itself? <laughs> um, I, I get it a lot already. Um, people telling me to die, um, people wanting to threaten my life, um, people wanting to harm me. That's how it manifests itself in my life. Um, I know that if you get a bigger opportunity to be a bigger leader um, where you have more credentialing because of those partnerships, um, that that could be a bigger issue. How do you deal with it? I'm still breathing. I don't know. What do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> you, what do you think? You know, just drink water, st sleep. <laughs> step after step. I've been black for uh, almost 50 years in September, so I've been dealing with it. If you were going to name, well, let me ask this. Any question I should have asked that I didn't? No, I think you asked a lot of good questions. Yeah. Any I think other... you should be running for something again, too. <laughs> I'm it, just saying low key. Any, oh, my life's not... Any other policy priorities that you want on that you want on people's radar screens that you think that win or lose you want to make sure the next mayor is doing a better job at? Um, just the biggest issue is that when when we talk about affordable housing in the city of Portland, we're not talking about affordable for all, and I think we really need to look into that. Today, we're um, my nonprofit actually is doing a fair housing workshop with Oregon Legal Aid Services. Um, and we do these workshops for community members so that they actually understand, like, what is this new law that's happening on March 1st? And how does it affect me? And what does it mean? And how does it benefit me? And what do I do to help myself if I need justice? Um, that, just that, let's let's start figuring out what we need to do to make our housing system stronger and attainable. Thank you for being here with us. I appreciate it. It's great to see you. It's been too long. And the last time we were doing it, we would do it on the phone. Mm -hmm. So I didn't even get to see you. It's well, nice to be able to see you. a couple times. But... Oh, sure, sure, sure. Of course you did. But it's nice to see you here. <laughs> it's nice to see you here. I should ask you about the campaign. My hair is whiter, huh? I didn't make a comment. I didn't make a comment. I think it looks great. She looked like Grandma Shark. <laughs> I think it looks great. <laughs> what? In terms of the campaign, what does the campaign look like? How do you win this race? Oh, my goodness. So we have over 600 signed up volunteers for our campaign. So um, where most people need a whole lot of money so that they can get the word out, um, we have a lot of community organizers and a lot of community members knocking on doors. And so what we need to do is just make sure that people are registered to vote and that they do vote because just like you said, the election day is on May 19th, which also happens to be Malcolm X's birthday. Um, and I'm just hoping that people are mindful that we can get 51 percent of the vote because we started a little early and we've done a lot of groundwork. And out of 96 neighborhoods and 600 volunteers, I think we have a really good chance, um, even if the media doesn't give us the platforms that they've given some of the other um, people that are running. We feel like we are in the race to win it. Well, thank you for being a part of this platform. And people can remember to mark their X on the 19th of May. And thanks for being here. Thank you.